The Health Services Consultative Committee released its annual report a few weeks back, which was mildly critical of the Health Department. Outgoing Chair Andrew Cole, in an interview with Isle of Man TV about his committee's report, suggested that the Health Minister tried to bully his committee. Minister Hooper strongly refutes this allegation and, as we'll hear later, describes the report as riddled with errors. In the meantime, the broadcaster who conducted the interview, Paul Moulton, is deeply concerned that there appears to be an attempt to silence public debate. Should we do the FOIs on that first then? Yeah, yeah obviously this is an ongoing, um, it feels like a battle to be honest. It's very simple, I just wanted a certain document and I'm pretty confident that, that document is around somewhere. Clearly we've drawn a lot of dots but we do need to have it officially given over. Now the whole reason for the FOI is to assist the public. We are on a man where we're meant to be open and honest and transparent and you name all these words that are used. It, I've been blocked constantly. And, um, and the, the importance of this document is... massive. Is, well, explain. Well, I mean, you can explain I, without naming I, people. It's not even that. I'm not even sure how far I want to go in the sense it, 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 it certainly could be a, a, a major part of the Dr. Ranson issue when advice was given to the Alabang government. Uh, right, it was on Friday the 13th of March 2020. On Friday, there was uh, Dr. Ranson's full thing, which was closing the borders and so on. But by Monday, it seems, and I have to be very careful here because I haven't seen the documents, but that, that wasn't the same information that allegedly went to the Comin. So something happened over that weekend, and that's what I, all I'm trying to do is find that out because it's really, really important. If something, the chief medical officer, her information was altered by someone who was not a medical person, I mean, again, we need to find out exactly what has gone on, who did what and why. And, and until you see that document yeah. or the documents re referred to, it's difficult to know what, what actually went on because uh, if the document said uh, Dr Ranson has advised such and such, however, um, the mm -hmm. department has decided something else, the f perhaps the fact that that document hasn't been released then meet, leaves everyone in a position where they have to speculate. Well, we're pretty sure it's in the bundles, you know, that have been laid. So, uh, I, again, so what's happened is uh, I heard that the clerk of Timwald has been issued the bundle. So I wrote him this letter and repeated some things about what I think was going on. But it was all, I understand, allegedly, that sort of thing. So, obviously, the clerk of Timwald, someone there, uh, so went to Jim Watson as well, has thrown it back to DHSC and these three people that were named by me. So I got a defamation letter uh, Wednesday, uh, and it was these three people, but also the DHSC. Now, there's not one word in my document about the DHSC for defamation can't be brought. I mean, it's, it's absolute nonsense, but it kind of means that it's Laurie Hooper's department who sent that. And then this t Twitter spat. And broke of course, out. it was there was a spat uh, just before Timwald's well, you, you, started yeah. as well with uh, uh, yourself and Laurie. Hooper. Well, because on the Friday I'd done that uh, interview um, with with a gentleman who he didn't even want to do it. I mean, he he felt like he had nowhere else to go, and I've I've become that sort of person that people mm. can go to. So he's the outgoing chair of the Isle of Man Health Services Consultative Committee, that was Andrew, Andrew Cole, Cole yeah. and he made some things there and and uh, i i've kind of it was jaw dropping um i don't i'm not going to repeat now you can the, the interviews uh on Isle of man tv on youtube but it's worth a watch because this is a man who i you clearly doesn't want to be doing the interview but and i was amazed how far he was prepared to go and i i think that's admirable but i said twice in the interview i now need to speak to laurie hooper 
and I looked at the camera lens and said, we will be in touch with Lloyd Hooper twice on that interview. I sent him an email to two different addresses when I came off and, and the thing had gone live. I got no response. That was Monday. So I saw him on Tuesday before Tim, he was in Tim, and I said, Laurie, will you do an interview? And he, it was just um, not the response I was expecting, shall we say, because he didn't want to uh, talk to me, basically. Um, he, he said basically I was biased and wouldn't, you know, he didn't acknowledge me. And you, you got an interview with him. Uh, you, you're obviously a, a trusted uh, <laughs> person or a qualified journalist or whatever. You know, I mean, the spat was getting a bit balmy the other day that he said he didn't seem to know about the letter. Now, if he's the, the minister and he didn't know, we've we got the same situation as we had with uh, Mr. Collister when a digital signature was applied by presumably a civil servant. So he, he doesn't know about the defamation letter. Well, basically. yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say because he said to me, well, will you publish it? And I'm going, well, this is bonkers because it's your department who must know about it and have instructed Callum Wilde to act on your behalf. Not in the AGs, by the way. This is all, all very interesting because I think Callum Wilde could find themselves slightly conflicted because of all the other things that are going on here. So, I mean, not the most uh, interesting thing to have happened to me that day, but it was lively. And, and the, I don't know what's going on with Laurie here because uh, to be sort of so public on Twitter is unusual. And the, the, I think there's a code of conduct that the ministers have to adhere to, which and may and have indeed, been, those may have been questions were asked about this in 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 ten minutes. It was, and uh, I, you know, I. That's I, another spat between two others, by the way. I didn't. I heard yeah. that the other day. I, I didn't know what that was about, mm. but there's other spats going yeah. on. But no, I mean, is that really the place to do that and and try and drag me into it? I mean, okay, it's a very strange way to deal with this whole thing. Um, I then had to engage, thank goodness, of, of somebody who has got lawyer experience, and we. I think it's a 13-page rebuttal. Um, but what it's done, it's now made it into the public arena, this thing. They've, they've rolled the dice, which was possibly not the best thing, in my view. I've got to be very careful on this thing. Because now we have something that is going to roll. I mean, they, if they're going to press me to apologise to these three individuals, apologise to DHSC, which wasn't even mentioned, so I can't apologise for something I haven't done, and also retract the video, um, where I, I, I apparently made some things. I mean, I, this all happened, by the way. The letter went a month ago, and they, I get a letter yesterday and asking me to remove it on the, by the Friday. And the actual physical letter only turned up this morning, the day of Friday, when we're recording this. Things aren't adding up here at all. I've obviously, those th three FOIs, I've now moved up to the Information Commissioner, which, and, and sadly, we're now in limbo. And no one knows what the new guy is going to be like. If you know, we, we wait to see that he's going to be as uh, on the ball, maybe as as the previous one. Um, you know, this this is this has got to be the most worrying thing about freedom of information and freedom of the Manx press. And th this is the, the the nub of this, isn't it? It uh, is because it is so important. I can't believe that the other politicians people, yeah. are are willing to to be open and talk to. Uh, the media, the, the, perhaps there's a, a misunderstanding amongst a number of uh, Timbal members, perhaps uh, a level of naivety amongst Timbal members, that in some way the, the, the media is there merely to report what they have to say, whereas actually we are there to scrutinise and uh, on behalf of the public we have ensure, jobs to ensure that uh, I promise you, people I, find out. All the years I've been doing this, and I'm not a qualified journalist, I have done, I've worked for the BBC and ITV, but I have not got any qualifications. But it's something I can do, I think, pretty okay, uh, even though I've said myself. Everything, uh, every person I've interviewed, we can have some really heated debates, but when we finish it, we'll just 
it's parked because it's just I'm doing the job of asking questions. You've got to answer them or not. And we move on. I mean, then, you know, it just doesn't happen like this. For, for Laurie Hooper, the minister now to refuse to do an interview with me because he didn't like, I'm guessing, that interview. And you know what and I was going to do? I was going to ask him to do the rebuttals. And one and of the <laughs> one of the things, I mean, you know, because I've been the other side of your microphone and, and camera lens, and we've given you a hard time. And, and, and the thing, <laughs> the thing that I liked was you gave me as much time yeah. as I was prepared yeah. to speak for no to, to explain what 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 I was uh, yeah. what I was about. And, and we've had some quite oh, hefty, yeah, I mean, and but, but we always walk away with it just. As you do, it's just a job. You've got your job, I've got my job. Yeah, yeah. But can I say, I'm, as a time of recording this, there's been so... I mean, we, we are doing this interview admittedly, but there's nothing else happening. I mean, the press on the Isle of Man, Manx Radio, their newsroom, everyone at Isle of Man newspapers and, and the other stations, surely this is of interest. Well, to but be they, fair, this is Manx Radio. You so. know what I mean, though. It hasn't made the news... Uh, it happened yesterday. It's not going as a news story until you, you pass this information on. I, I, I kind of really worry about that because is everyone else just happy that, that potentially the journalists and the other man are going to be bullied um, certainly compromised if they think they're going to be getting a lawyer's letter over something it's it's this is so serious I literally don't know how how I, you, know, you put here the anger and also it upsets me hmm. it's, it's this is not this is not good for anyone to have to deal with this 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 is something that has I will fight it and I will go to jail over it if it have to because this cannot be seen by anyone and I, I presume the chief minister must be watching that what happened there because it seems an inappropriate way of handling a, a dispute a to send a letter like that but b then to kind of go onto twitter and call me uh i'm, I don't know, what I, I'm not qualified I'm, i have a jobbing thing with a camera I, I have no right now to cover timwald he thinks because I don't hit the criteria, I have no code of conduct. This is all bonkers, because I've signed up for it years ago. Uh, but why Why would a minister who... And let's also remember, Liberal Vannon comes into this. And on Laurie Hooper's own website, he wants open and transparency and freedom of the press and all this. He's doing everything in the other direction. Now, what happens to Laurie Hooper when he was a backbencher to when Laurie Hooper becomes a minister? And it happens to other people as well, so it's not just him. You know, it, it's this sort of complete mindset change. He should be in, inviting more interaction from the media, not shutting us down because he doesn't like an interview. This is still not cleared. He, there were some major things said on that interview about that man. That Laurie Hooper was going to, in my view, come back. Because he put out a huge uh, Twitter that night saying this is ridiculous. It was, it was hard. And you got the t feeling that this is, this is someone that's really, really upset about the whole thing being aired in the first place. Now... That's my responsibility to make that, that video because that person came to me. I'm not going to stop him. But I, at the same time, I knew I had to get Laurie's side of the, the thing. He, so as of recording, I have no answers to those serious questions that were raised in that interview. And surely he needs to address them. If it's not to me, because he won't talk to me, then to you or somebody else. But it's not good enough that a minister can dock and dive and pick and choose when he'll be available to, and to who. That's just not... That's a Boris Johnson thing, isn't it, almost? It's crazy. That was broadcaster Paul Moulton. I've asked the health department to comment about the recent lawyer's letter, but had not received a reply prior to preparing agenda for broadcast earlier today. If a statement is released before this show airs, I will, of course, include it.
I interviewed Minister Hooper in Tinwald on Tuesday. I asked him first about the nurses' dispute over pay. I think that's been a concern for a while. We know that Manx Care is carrying a vacancy rate of around 20% across the, the piece. So what that means is they have to be very careful how they manage staff to make sure there are enough staff on any ward at any given time in order to try and make sure that is safe. Uh, and I know Manx Care do their best with that, with the staffing they've got. Part of the challenge linking this in with pay disputes obviously is that you can only spend the money once so on the one hand you know most of the, the unions have accepted the pay offer that Max Care have put forward I know the RCN have not uh, but on this particular issue if you're saying well we need to pay our existing staff more you can't then spend that same money hiring more nurses to fill the vacancies so it, it's it's a difficult message to get across I think and it's difficult when people are saying both we need more funding for us but also we'd like uh, more people employed uh, actually sometimes you can't do both and you can't do both at the same time quickly uh, and, and that is I think the position that Max Care is sort of in is they're trying to find a way of managing with within the financial resources they've got within the budget that's been allocated by Treasury and they're saying we can make a reasonable pay offer and they have made a, a pay offer that, that was rejected like I say by the RCN uh, but equally they do have an active uh, recruitment and retention program going on trying to make sure they're increasing their substantive posts and the number of people employed in substantive posts so there's less reliance on bank and agency staff. Uh, these things will take time to, to be fixed. I'm confident things are better now than they were say a year ago or two years ago uh, but it's not an overnight fix and it isn't something that's going to be uh, resolved I think quickly. One of the arguments that the uh, unions, uh, the medical unions are making is that actually in real terms pay has diminished uh, over the course of the last decade or so and as a consequence it is more difficult to actually recruit people into these roles. You as minister have the difficulty of course that uh, Uh, there is only so much money uh, available to to the Manx government and uh, somehow uh, you've managed so far to have extracted um, more than than many departments. Uh, The department has a £10 million top-up a year. Um, So so the, the money ought to be there. I think the 10-year pay erosion thing is quite an interesting point. So I entered the workforce in 2008, just before the financial crash. So all I've ever experienced in my working life is pay erosion. Uh, And that's the reality for, I think, everybody, uh, except in a couple of very specific sectors. I think it is fair to say that most people have suffered significant pay erosion over the last decade. In part, that was financial crash. It was the VAT renegotiation. It was then decisions made by previous governments, both here and and across, uh, around what was called austerity, uh, or not austerity on the Isle of Man, but ultimately had a very similar effect on people. People. And I think that's where we're at after 10 years of this. We are now trying to dig ourselves out of this hole. And, and it's fair to say that I think most people are, are at their limit. They've said, actually, we don't like this approach. We cannot accept this continuing uh, additional work with no additional resource, the additional pressure that's piled on people. And I think that's a very fair position to take. It's a position I completely support, which is why I have spent most of my time in the last two years arguing for more funding for the health and care service to make sure that we can pay staff at what, they, what they're worth, to make sure they feel valued, to make sure they know that they're valued, but also then to make sure we're investing in in care pathways, in services, in patients, to making sure the whole system is getting better. I'd love to be able to snap my fingers and say, yes, Treasury, give me extra money. Uh, and the reality is I can't do that. Uh, and we have to then rely on, on Manx Care to negotiate with staff to make sure Manx Care are taking all the steps they can take uh, to improve uh, staff morales, make staff feel valued, improve staff well-being, improve staff numbers, and ultimately improve staff pay. In relation to then the the, the action that the uh, RCN, I, I understand, are taking uh, in, a, I think it's a week's time, um, have you got any uh, particular concerns about that? 
Uh, so Manx Care have advised that they're forming a, what they're calling a strike committee, so it's essentially just going to sit down and work out what the derogations look like, what work is going to stop, who's going to be on staff, what's uh, going to be covered. So my understanding is at the moment, what I'm being told at least, is that we will be running health services on the island, that things aren't just going to stop. Obviously, you can't just stop services, uh, but that very much will be uh, by way of negotiation now between uh, Manx Care and, and the staff side. So ultimately, I'm hoping they'll come to a sensible resolution that makes sure that patients are protected, that uh, services can still operate even if on a reduced basis, uh, but equally respecting the right of these individual staff members to go out and protest. Moving on then to uh, a different matter, um, the Health Services Complaints Committee, is it? Consultative, Consultative Committee. Committee. The Health Services Consultative Committee uh, issued their report um, and um, it's fair to say that you came in for a uh, quite a significant amount of criticism from the outgoing chair of that committee. Um, there were accusations that the ministers are bully, the ministers heavy-handed, and, and this and that. Um, how do you respond to those allegations? So I haven't actually spoken to the outgoing chair uh, since the new chair was appointed, so this must be six months, uh, give or take. Uh, so I really don't know what information he has, uh, but for him to make such defamatory statements in public, he must have really strong evidence to back that up. So I would really hope that he does. Uh, but from my perspective, the HSCC report... Uh, it contains a, a raft of errors. There are so many errors in it, actually. I, I, someone's asked me previously, can you can you do a point-by-point point rebuttal? I can't. Actually, there is so much in it that is just wrong. It, it would be almost impossible for me to do that. Uh, some of the stuff in it that does concern me, though, is the fact that they take information that they have access to. They have complete access to all the information the department has access to. They see everything that I see, almost. Uh, and then to present that in a way to the public that can be misleading or misrepresentative, I think, is quite concerning. Um, Ultimately, the ultimate concern I have with this body is that they are not acting in accordance with the law. One element in their report describes how they currently operate and states, I think on page 16, that this approach has ministerial support. It categorically does not. I have written to them in the past saying, I think what you're doing is unlawful, you need to change, and they have not. Uh, so really, as part of that process to say, you, you, the law is the law, you have to follow it. Uh, there is no choice there. Uh, and whilst you are under my responsibility, it is my responsibility to make sure you follow the law. I mean, that's a fairly significant point that you're making there. So, um, you know, it, you're suggesting the committee is acting unlawfully. What what specifically is it that uh, that the, the unlawful uh, nature of, the, of their action? The specific part of the law that they're supposed to be doing is their job, which they repeatedly articulate in their report, is to uh, provide some scrutiny at the moment of uh, quality, performance and activity of health services being delivered. So what I would expect to see from them is information on the quality of health services, the performance of health services and the activity that's being undertaken. And the reality is there is nothing in the report that covers those issues. They are almost entirely focused on DHSC policy work, on strategy development, on legislative work. That's great. That does provide some value. That is quite helpful. But it isn't what the law requires of them. And actually, my how is it though? I mean, it, 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 policy and legislation are really quite important when it comes to delivering services. Uh, so, so surely to goodness that is within the remit of the committee. It is, and that's the point that I've tried to make to them repeatedly. It forms part of your remit, but is not the entirety of your remit. The law is very specific as to the things they should be looking at. Uh, so when we met recently, I did ask if they could provide me with a view on performance of GP services, of cancer services, of midwifery services, of our restoration and recovery programme, and nothing comes back, and that's the problem. Uh, so, but... but in, in terms of unlawfulness, I mean, you're suggesting the committee's, uh, perhaps you're suggesting 
the committee isn't following its complete remit. Um, but but what what it's doing um, certainly is is part of I would have thought a reasonable effort to review how uh, how services are being delivered by the department. Unfortunately, not. So, firstly, Phil, and correctly, the department doesn't deliver services. Manx Care delivers services. Um, and in terms of the remit of the committee, it is set down in regulation what they must do. So, the fact that they must do multiple things means they are required to do all of those things. You don't get to pick and choose as a as a statutory body as a uh, to say actually I'm going to ignore the bits that I'm not interested in. That isn't the way the law works. I mean, if it were, government would operate entirely differently um, when the law says... But, but surely surely all committees... Ha- I mean, no committee is capable of doing everything within its remit all at the same time. I mean, you, you have to dedicate particular uh, time for particular topics and uh, you know perhaps at the moment well certainly it would appear that the committee which is independent of the department has taken the view that these are the issues that are hindering perhaps the uh, delivery of services so is, is it not within the, the the gift of the committee to actually make that decision it's not within the gift of the committee to ignore the law that's what it boils down to. Uh, and ultimately, the committee's primary focus, as set out in the primary legislation, is to be a consultative body that the department seeks feedback from, which we also do use them for. Um, the reality is the way our system operates currently um, is that what we're missing is that patient voice. So what we're missing is someone to go in and actually look at services from a patient perspective. That is what the committee used to do. If you look back at the old reports, that's the stuff they used to do. They used to look at the actual way services were delivered. Uh, And now that isn't what they're doing at all. So something has changed in the last couple of years where they've moved very sharply away from what they used to do, which is what the law told them to do, and they're doing something entirely different because that seems to be their area of primary focus. So my intention with the HSCC is to reform them to be much more patient-centred, so actually acting more like one of the community health boards in Wales or the uh, health watch organisations in the UK who are by statute the patient's voice in the development of policy in the delivery of services and that's really what where there is value in an organisation like this. Uh, we have a, a comprehensive external inspection programmes, we've got clinic, clinical experts going in and inspecting clinical services, we now have parliamentary scrutiny committees scrutinising policy and legislation so we have a, a lot of... And, and of course you famously said on one of my programmes that uh, perhaps the, the uh, committee of Tynwald wasn't scrutinising hard enough so maybe the uh, consultative committee has decided maybe it needs to step in. That's an interesting point. Actually, in some of the reports, perhaps last year, I think they do criticise elements of Timwell's performance, uh, which I find quite entertaining, uh, that you've got uh, this this body whose job it is to look at the health service actually turning around and criticising the way Timwell members operate and the way Timwell functions, which uh, I would argue is very far outside of their remit. Uh, but ultimately, the problem we have at the moment is when they are deciding that's what they want to spend their time on, rather than the things the law explicitly says they need to spend their time on, you end up in a, in a difficult position. Uh, and then when you get reports like this that contain the these sort of significant errors, which just don't get checked. So the first time I saw this full report was uh, when it was sent to Timwell members. So this body is supposed to report to the department and to Timwell members, and the way that it works, at least this year, is they hand me the final report when it's in its final form the moment it is published. I'm a professional auditor. I've written lots of audit reports and and, uh, things like this, and you would never do that. You would always engage with the client, with the service user, to say, this is a draft, this is what I'm going to produce, is it correct? And actually there's stuff in there which is erroneous uh, and actually and, and of course you know the 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 uh, the issue there which you know, for those who aren't perhaps familiar with this is um 
the committee still uh, holds the report, the committee still has the authorship of that report and the committee can ignore uh, anything yeah. that the department may come back with but, uh, but not giving the department an opportunity to point out uh, where perhaps the, the committee has, has, uh, has misunderstood a thing um, does seem a, a strange uh, way of approaching things. Yeah, so I was sent the copy of what they refer to as their Timwald brief uh, two days before they published it uh, and asked for comments within two days. And this was during a Timwald sitting, so there was literally no way I could respond to that uh, within that time frame. And it's this kind of action and activity that you think there is a lot of value in, in this organisation. I really believe that there is a lot of value in having this type of uh, lay scrutiny of service of policy I think having that lay input really is worthwhile uh, but in its current form it just isn't working and, and that's the biggest challenge and so when you have these conversations with people and say look you're not doing what the law requires I appreciate the time and effort you're putting in I appreciate the passion that you have to make things better but what you're doing is not adding any value we need to refocus you towards patients and what patients need and ultimately then you get some of this pushback that says no we want to do what we want to do and that's absolutely fine uh, but ultimately you don't get to make that choice uh, policy is set by elected politicians it is set by Timwald it is set by government and that's the way our system works so if you yes. want to influence that by all means influence it but there is a way to influence and a process you use to influence those things uh, you don't just go on a, 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 a YouTube video and start uh, throwing out all sorts of uh, quite defamatory accusations. It is part of the problem here that the department has um, sort of um, or the, the, the split has occurred between service delivery and um, and policy development and uh, maybe the the legislation governing the committee hasn't um, moved with the times? No, so the committee have, have said that a number of times, but the reality is that legislation has never been a barrier. Uh, so the legislation does not entitle them, for example, to access to department meetings or papers. It doesn't do that. But we've always given them access to everything. In fact, we have HSCC members at nearly all of our department meetings. That's always been the way it's done, but there is no specific statutory power for them to do that. Same with Manx Care. Actually, there is no statutory power for them to go in and demand things, but Manx Care have been very opening and very unwelcoming to them, and they actually HSS acknowledge that in their report. They say we've attended X number of Manx Care meetings, and they get access to all the same stuff that Manx Care has. So the fact that the statute isn't explicit actually is not a barrier and has proved not to be a barrier. It is something that has been thrown out a few times, saying we can't do our job because, actually, that turns out that's not true. Setting aside, then, the uh, whether whether the committee should or should not be uh, making uh, recommendations and uh, conclusions on the issues that it has, um, it does raise some fairly important questions. I mean, the, an obvious one that uh, sprung out to me was uh, legislation appears to be taking a very long time to, to, to get through. So that's one of the uh, erroneous bits of, of statements in, in the report. So there are quite a few errors. Some of them are on dates. The report itself gives two different dates for what we're calling our Re Regulation of Care Act, for example. Which of those two dates is correct? Uh, I would suggest you go and ask the HSCC that question. They've published two dates in their own report about when they're expecting to see this. Neither are correct, by the way, but they've still managed to publish two separate dates, which goes back to my point around th this hasn't even been sort of sense-checked, I think. Uh, and so there are definitely delays with our legislative programme across government. That's evident. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, from a Department of Health and Social Care perspective, we're broadly on track with where we need to be. Uh, but they are long-term plans. They are long-term development of very complex legislation. It's similar with things like the Max Care Record, for example. That is a five- to ten-year project. The HSCC are jumping up and down because it hasn't been delivered yesterday. It has always a five to ten year project that was always going to be the case and I think this is part of the problem with uh, the report as it currently is is it makes these references you then as the media pick up on it and go oh there seems to be a problem here actually 
that's just incorrect. The, the facts that are behind this are simply incorrect. And then you end up having a conversation around things that aren't have no basis in reality, quite frankly. And I think that's part of the problem. So then instead of being able to talk about the actual things we're trying to do and the actual problems that we're facing, and let's be honest, there are problems that we're trying to, to deal with, you end up spending quite a lot of time doing interviews like this, trying to correct the record, which should never have been incorrect in the first place. To be fair, I haven't asked many questions about the report yet, um, and I would welcome an opportunity, perhaps on a, on a future show for yourself and uh, representative of the uh, healthcare uh, consultative committee uh, to, 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 to debate the, the whole issue. But undoubtedly, uh, I mean, you mentioned that there are errors, but undoubtedly there must be some truth in, in this report. I would like to think so, Phil, uh, but I think the problem is when you have errors of this scale, it is difficult then to place reliance on the things in there that you should be able to rely on, and I think that's the problem I've got. So you'd expect reports to uh, have a difference of opinion. I'm expecting these reports to be critical of the Department of Manx Care, of course they am. That is part of their job as a, as a scrutiny function as it currently stands. That's what I'd expect them to do, is to provide that feedback and say, this isn't working well, this is the evidence base that we have. The problem you've got at the moment is the report doesn't provide that evidence base, and so you're almost forced to read it uh, and take it at face value to say what's in there is true or it isn't. And when you know that so much in there isn't accurate, it's really difficult then to say, well, which bits of this are right, and do I invest any time and energy in going through this report almost line by line and fact-checking absolutely everything in it in order to see where the value is? And the reality is I don't have the time for that myself. I don't have the resource in the department to go through and do that. And so ultimately you end up with a report that will go and sit on a shelf somewhere and is unlikely to be taken seriously by anyone. It's unlikely to be actioned simply because of the amount of time and energy and investment it would take to separate the wheat from the chaff within that report. And so, like I said, I, I really do think there is value in these kind of organisations. I do think there is value in having an independent patient voice in the development of policy and strategy and overseeing the delivery of services. That isn't what we're currently getting. Finally, then, uh, and, and this is more, well, there was a question in, in, in Tinwald which uh, talked about, uh, in a somewhat opaque sort of way, about um, ministers' approach to social media. Interestingly, nothing seems to have been, sorry, <coughs> nothing seems to have altered since the, uh, the, the 2015 um, uh, report uh, or, or um, uh, proposal, re recommendations, whatever they are, uh, in relation or governing uh, you, uh, ministers' use of social media. Um, are you one of the ministers, well, you are one of the ministers that, uh, that speaks frequently uh, on uh, Twitter, Facebook. Um, you are generally quite robust in, 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 in your debating style on, on, on those platforms. Do you think that uh, the questioner um, had a reasonable point? Do you think perhaps uh, you are too robust and maybe you need to be a little bit more um, or, or a little bit less combative in, in the way that you approach this? I actually had assumed that Mr Glover was referring to the defamatory accusations Mr Collister had made on social media, uh, as opposed to anything that... Uh, well, he specifically uh, referred to a minister, didn't he? Uh, I, I suspect he was referring, well, I assumed he was referring to the then minister, uh, but I, I say uh, without knowing what Mr Glover was actually getting at, it's difficult to comment. Okay. Is it, I mean, do, do you think people understand um, just how big and high-pressured uh, the role is of being a minister in the Isle of Man. I mean, we, we all uh, acknowledge and welcome the fact that uh, ministers are very, very accessible. Um, um, but is it, is it um, you know, do, do you think the public 
fully appreciate just how big a deal that is when you are one of those ministers who is effectively accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 52 weeks of the year. I actually think it's a bit of a surprise to some Timor members, to be honest, as well. Uh, I, I think with what we've seen this time around, a number of Timor members stepping back from department roles, from government roles, some of them citing workload as one of the reasons for that. So I, I think it has come as a bit of a shock to a lot of people that when you're in this job, it isn't a nine to five. You know, you can't just take the weekend off. And this idea of a, a long summer holiday is, is just laughable. So, I mean, in some respects, I think there is a lack of understanding out there amongst people generally, about, say amongst Timor members as well, seems to be apparent about the scale and the scope of the work that required but I think most people understand it I think most people appreciate the, the pressures of the job and that it's difficult and quite frankly I wouldn't expect the job to be easy uh, otherwise we wouldn't need people to do it if that makes sense the job is going to be difficult there are difficult complex problems that we're being elected to deal with and the way that our representative democracy works is because we want people to drill into those issues to deal with the complexity then we do need to spend time and energy doing that so it is going to be a complex issue I, I think the challenge that we often have as government as ministers and as Timor members more broadly is then taking those complex issues and explaining them and breaking them down into uh, more easily digestible uh, bits of information that I think anyone can then engage with and, and that's always the challenge because I've never wanted to try and come across like I'm treating the, the public as, as, as like they don't understand because actually most people absolutely get this stuff uh, but it's trying to make sure it gets the message out in a way that doesn't come across as being patronising or condescending but also gets it, away in a, gets it across in a way that is really engaging for people and gives them the opportunity and the ability to then have a proper conversation about it and in fairness i think we're seeing that with things like nursing and residential care so it's a really big really complex issue uh, but actually since uh, the newspapers published an article this morning on the website i've seen lots of engagement on social media about the issues people absolutely get it you know they absolutely understand the problems the challenges the scope uh, there's no reason to to think they wouldn't so I, I don't really think there's any reason for me to believe that when it comes to the role of a minister or the role of a Timor member that people don't generally have, have a good understanding of what it is that we do that was Health Minister Laurie Hooper very robustly defending his department. Do you think he's right to put up such a strong defence of his department? Is Paul Moulton being silenced for dark and nefarious reasons? Is the minister and government right in suggesting that Paul Moulton has an agenda of his own? Whatever the rights and wrongs of all this, the main victim of this public spat appears to be the Health Services Consultative Committee's annual report, which, whether riddled with inaccuracies as the Minister suggests or not, asks some searching questions such as, should Treasury act to raise sufficient funds to enable more than just making the most of what we have? The Minister has accepted my invitation to discuss the report on a future programme and I hope that soon we can get back to talking about the policies and actions of the Health Department rather than having to cover this unedifying public episode. Let me know your thoughts on the programme by contacting philgorn at manxradio.com and get in touch if you have any ideas for future shows. Don't forget this programme is available as a podcast on Manx Radio's website. For now though, I'm Phil Gorn. Goodamayo. Thanks for listening.